Good morning, 10 o'clock. How are you guys doing? Great to see all of you who are here and those who are watching online. Uh, this is your first time here or your first time back in a while. Today we're wrapping up this series called Formed where we've been discovering that followers of Jesus um, don't just happen by accident. They're formed. It's not like poof and they're there. No, mature followers of Jesus don't magically appear. They're formed. They're constantly growing. They're constantly stretching themselves. They're constantly getting a little bit uncomfortable and maybe out of their comfort zone to take a next step in their relationship with God. And so our hope in this series has been that, that this topic would be a source of encouragement for you and that it would also get really practical, give you some practical tools as you pursue becoming a fully formed follower of Jesus Christ. And that's you know why we say here all the time that we don't just want people who, who come to church and sit in some rows for an hour on a Sunday morning or, or watching online and then just walk away unchanged. But instead, we want to have a, a congregation, a group of people, a fellowship of believers who understand that they're called to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And if we can start to do that, I believe we can start to, to learn to love people the way that Scripture teaches I believe that our families would be better. I believe that our places of work would be better. For our students here, I believe that your schools would be better and that ultimately our world would be better. Now, as I said earlier in this series, one of the most practical teachings on this topic of being formed, on this topic of, of discipleship presented to us in the Bible is really given to us by the Apostle Paul who wrote a much of the New Testament and he was a church planter who was planting all these various churches around the Mediterranean rim. And after he would leave these churches that he would help get started, he would then write them letters to encourage them and to kind of guide them and help them along the way. And some of these early churches, we talked about this a few weeks ago, were pretty jacked up. Like, in fact, if we said if you've had, you know, a crazy church experience. Jim was talking a little bit about that, you know, um, up here during worship today. If you've had a, a crazy church experience in your life that maybe rubbed you a little bit wrong, you should really read Paul's letters to these early churches because you'll feel better about your crazy church experience because the early church was often like an episode of Jerry Springer. Okay, that Paul actually had to had to yell at a guy for hooking up with his stepmom. It's crazy, right? He had to scold church leaders like pastors for getting drunk while taking communion. And so a couple weeks ago, we examined Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, and we discovered that much of 1 Corinthians is on this topic of discipleship and what it means to, to truly be formed into a follower of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for example, and chapter 14, you know, both talk about this idea of the gifts given to us by God for service and that we're all this incredibly invaluable part of the body of Christ on earth. But sandwiched in the middle of those passages between 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is 1 Corinthians 13. And this passage seems a little bit weird when you read it. It seems like it's a little bit out of place from what he's talking about. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I'm talking about how to be formed in Christ. I'm talking about this important topic of discipleship. Now, let me take a pause for a second because I believe Christians someday are going to need some nice verses to hear at their wedding ceremony. So let me take a break. Love is patient. Love is kind. But I don't think he did that. I think that 1 Corinthians 13 is really the glue that holds 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 together. And as Paul talks about discipleship, as Paul talks about being formed as a follower of Jesus, this is how he ends 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, and yet I will now show you the most excellent way. You want to be formed as a follower of Jesus? You want to understand what it means to be a disciple I'm about to show you the most excellent way. And then he says this famous, famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, 
but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so as we land this series today, I want to continue to to unpack this verse that we started a few weeks ago, and I want to explore what it says in regards to the topic of living out love as a follower of Jesus, because our first core value as a church is the idea that loved people love people. And once again, let me be clear, I don't consider myself an expert on the topic of discipleship. I'm on a journey of grace just like the rest of you guys But these are just things that I've been trying to learn about and trying to to develop and stretch myself and grow in my own life. Now, so far, we looked at patience and kindness. We talked about how followers of Jesus do not envy or boast or have sinful pride and dishonor other people. Today, we're going to continue unpacking four more characteristics of what a formed follower of Jesus looks like. You guys ready? All right. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Number one. Followers of Jesus are not self-seeking. Followers of Jesus are not self-seeking. Now, one of the things that's true for all of us is that all of us can be a little bit selfish when it comes to some things in life. Like, for example, show of hands, how many of you are the person who always likes to drive when your family goes someplace? Yeah, like you have a little bit of control issues, right? I'm, 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 I'm right there with you. Like you don't care if it's a 10-hour car ride and you're nodding off and hitting the rumble strips. One of the passengers in the back is like, hey, do you need some help? You want me to take over? You're like, no, no, I got this. Let me just back out of this bush and we'll be back on our way. We're all, it's all good to go, okay? So again, raise your hand high if that's you. Here are all the control freaks. Look at them, people, all right? And again, I, I'm right there with you. We, were, we, were, um, we went to Michigan for family vacation a couple weeks ago. Some of you guys know this, um, but on the way back, um, we stopped in Sandusky, Ohio, and um, stayed at a hotel. And the next morning, um, I wound up with a severe attack of vertigo. And Julie still had to pry the steering wheel away from me on the way home. Like, I, I didn't mind. I was like, I can, I can make it. I can weave through these lanes. It's no problem. She was like, no, you are not going to be driving. But, but we can do that, okay? All of us um, can kind of be like that. Um, we can all kind of be control freaks with something in our lives. Um, I've been married to my wife, Julie, now for 21 years. And um, another thing that I'm a control freak about is um, when we go out to restaurants, when it comes to food and sharing food off of my plate. Do any of you guys get annoyed with sharing food like off of your plate? Can again, I see a show of hands. Some of you are with me, okay? Because like without fail, this will happen. We will finish our meal and they will come and ask if we'd like dessert. And nine times out of 10, she's like, no, I am so stuffed. I'm, I could not eat. I could not eat another bite. And then I order a chocolate thunder from down under and it hasn't gotten to the table for 10 seconds when she's devoured half of it. And I'm like, I would have gotten you one. And she's like, oh no, no, I just needed a little bite. That's all I needed. And I'm like, woman, Jaws could have taken a smaller bite than you just... You just took. Any men with me this morning? You feel me on that? So all of us can, can be self-seeking when it comes to certain areas in our life. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to love and to be selfless instead of self-seeking. And we can overcome the trap of being self-seeking if we remember two critical things, if we can keep our focus on two critical things. If you want to write it down, the first one is this. Number one, if we remember that God wants more for me than I want for me, that God wants more for me than I want for me. See, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that, that God just wants us to be successful for the sake of being successful. But the truth is that God wants his followers to be successful in life because it gives us the opportunity to point the glory back towards him. So whether you sell real estate or you work in an office or you're a student in school right now or you're a stay-at-home mom, it, it really doesn't matter. Wherever you are in work and in life, if you seek first God and his glory, I believe God is going to honor that. And I think Jesus affirms this. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus said if we, if we can keep our eyes on him, if we seek God first, if we make God first in our lives, then we don't have to worry and stress so much because God's going to take care of us. 
And, and this isn't some prosperity gospel where, you know, nothing in life will ever go wrong and you'll never face a storm or never face a struggle. I mean, this, this is life. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but he promises us that if we keep our eyes on him, we're never going to be alone. He's always going to be with us and we can have incredible peace and we know in the end we're going to make it through because God is there And so this leads to thought number two for avoiding the trap of becoming self-seeking. Number two, listen to Jesus and do what he says. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. Now, now that's awesome for some people, and it's incredibly frustrating for others of us. Because sometimes we feel like we can't hear from God. Now, in looking at this topic of discipleship and love, we've kind of been following the story a little bit of of King David. I talked about King David a couple weeks ago in the first part of this message, who is considered to be Israel's greatest leader, Israel's greatest king. And, And I love the example we see of David in Scripture as he continuously tries to seek God first. In fact, in scripture, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And so so check out what happens to David in this account in 2 Samuel chapter 5, picking up in verse 17. It says this, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it, and he, he went down to the stronghold, and he asked of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines. Will you deliver them into my hands? I think that's incredible because David was, he was a warrior king. He had defeated the Philistines in many battles before. I mean, he, he defeated the giant Goliath. Do you guys remember that? Who everybody was afraid of. David had killed tens of thousands of enemies on the battlefield. They had written songs about him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But here's the deal. When we allow our experience And we allow our talents to trump our ability to listen to the voice of God, we'll get into trouble every time, every time. David was a great warrior. He was a great military general. But instead of just relying on his experiences and on his expertise, he chooses to seek God first. And check out what happens. Continuing in verse 19, the Lord answered him, go. For I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So so David went and defeated them. He said, as water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. And that literally meant the Lord has broken through as if the waters had busted through a dam. So, so David seeks God first, and then after God provides this great victory over the Philistines, David reflects, and instead of patting himself on the back, instead of saying, hey, everybody, look at me, I'm King David, I just won a great battle, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He points the glory back to who, church? God, right? He points it back to God. See, a person who is self-seeking will always say it's about me. L- look at what I've done. But a formed follower of Jesus is not self-seeking. And they're always going to reflect glory and honor back to God. So David wins this great victory with God. Things are going good. But a short time later, guess what? The Philistines come back. They decide to attack again. Because things that annoy us often have the habit of coming back and bothering us again, right? Verse 22. Once more, the Philistines came up. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, do not go straight up this time, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the trees, move quickly, David, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you. So David did as the Lord commanded him and he struck down the Philistines again. So once again, here is an experienced battle-tested leader in David, fresh off a victory, but still, still he doesn't make the assumption that it's all about him and he knows what's best and he's going to do what he's going to do. The Bible says he again asks the Lord, God, I want to make you first. What do I need to do? And in this battle, God gives him some different instructions, gives him a different direction than the previous battle. And because David was not about himself and was not self-seeking, because he actually listened to the voice of God, he wins another great victory. And I love how God gets really specific with David. If we 
as a people can realize sometimes to slow down a little bit, to listen to God, to make God first in our lives, we will soon realize that he wants way more for us than we could even imagine that we want for us. And I believe God will speak to us. I believe he'll get really specific and he will help us to break through the barriers that will lead us to the greater things, the greater story, the greater future that he has for us. Number two, number two, followers of Jesus are not easily angered. They're not easily angered. Let's talk about coaches versus critics in life. The, the only way to avoid a critic in life is really to be mediocre. See, here's the deal. If you start pursuing God first in your life, if you start stretching yourself and, and becoming formed into a follower of Jesus, God is going to start doing some things in your life. And you're probably going to start experiencing some success. And there are some people in this world who can't stand the success of other people. And so one of the things we're going to have to deal with as we're being formed in Christ is this thing known as critics. Now, some of the best advice in Scripture on how to deal with critics and how to deal with difficult people in our life is actually written by James, the brother of Jesus. And I just love James. In fact, I don't just believe in Jesus, you know, because the Bible says so. I believe in Jesus because Matthew, an eyewitness, wrote about him. Because Mark, who spent time with Peter, wrote about him. Because John, who took care of, of Jesus' mother, Mary, wrote about him. And because of James. I mean, we've talked about this before, but just think about it. Raise your hand this morning if you have a sibling. Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us, most of us in here, we have a sibling. What would it take for you to believe they were God? Right? Some of you are like, Pastor, if you said Satan, I might have been able to, <laughs> to go along with that. But God, no way, right? Like the only thing that would make you believe that is if maybe they rose from the dead, right? And that's exactly what happens with James. We don't hear about James in Scripture before the resurrection, but all of a sudden, he becomes a leader in the church after the resurrection. And, and this is what he wrote on the topic of formed followers of Jesus, dealing with critics. Here's what James said in James 1.19. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, let me just say that while I believe James is absolutely correct in his assessment, James did not have to deal with social media 2,000 years ago, right? Social media has made this principle of not becoming easily angered extremely difficult because every one of us in here is probably guilty of this, of firing off a comment on Facebook or Instagram or some other social media and then instantly regretting that we hit the send button. And social media has made it easier than ever for people to say hurtful and critical things that they would never consider saying to someone's face because they feel emboldened, you know, sitting behind a computer screen. It's one of the reasons that I took a break from social media during the last presidential election. But think about it. 40 years ago, just 40 years ago, if you wanted to publicly criticize somebody, you had to sit down probably with a pen and a piece of paper, or maybe a typewriter, right? And you had to write to like the editor of a newspaper somewhere. You didn't get to be Bible Boy 42 behind a computer screen sitting in your mom's basement writing something out, right? You had to write that thing out, you had to send it out, and if the newspaper accepted it and printed your letter, people in town might read the newspaper and talk about it for a few days, and then it would be forgotten. But with social media today, anybody can be a critic, and when they hit send, it's instant, it's global, and it's permanent. Like once you post something, it is literally out there forever, and it can even come back and bite you years later or decades later. So in this day and age, I believe that in order to achieve what James is talking about, we really need to begin to focus in on coaches in our life and not critics. Because the person that says, I don't need counsel from anyone in my life is not going to go anywhere. But a formed follower of Jesus seeks out mentors and coaches in their life so they can avoid the trap of just reacting in anger and instead start to grow and go further in their walk with Christ. 
So let's unpack the big difference between having a coach in our life versus having a critic speaking into our lives. Number one is this, coaches choose to have a relationship with you. Critics hardly know you. Coaches have a relationship with you. Critics hardly know you. Here at our church, our staff, our leadership board, uh, my accountability partners, my spouse, my kids, all of them have permission to speak into my life. Why? Because they all have a personal relationship with me. See, a great coach or mentor, they take the time to invest in a relationship with you. A critic doesn't really know you at all, and they don't take the time to invest in a relationship with you. If you want to know if you're dealing with a coach in your life or if you're dealing with a critic, ask yourself this question, do they have a relationship with me? Do they really know me? Number two, coaches will assume the best about you. Critics will assume the worst. Coaches assume the best about you. Critics assume the worst. At the end of the day, a great coach is going to assume the best about you. Love always assumes the best. Now, along these lines, I'm going to get sidetracked for just a little bit, but did you know that this is also the key to a great love relationship? Now, if you're in a relationship with someone, if you're married and you're in a marriage relationship with someone, this is just an incredible, incredible principle for having a great marriage. Because in every love relationship, there are gaps that come along in that relationship. Gaps between expectations that we have for another person and actuality, what really happens, how they really behave. You know, I expected you to do this. Instead, you just did this. You said you would do these chores. The chores didn't get done. You said you would pay that bill. Now we have a collections notice. You never paid it. In every relationship, there are gaps between expectations we have and the actual behaviors. But when those gaps come up, we have a choice to make. We can't control the gaps, but we can control our response when the gaps come. We can either choose to believe the best about someone, or we can choose to assume the worst about them. You know, she, she's late. She said she'd be home in time for dinner. She's late. But you know what? She had a lot on her plate. This was a really crazy week at work for her. Believe the best. Or he's late again. I knew it. His grandpa's late, his dad's late, he's late, he's just always late. He's a big fat jerk. Assume the worst. Coaches believe the best about us. They don't assume the worst. Number three, number three, coaches correct us out of love. Critics correct us out of pride. In order for me to truly accept someone as a coach or mentor in my life, I really need to know three things about them off the bat. Number one, that they love Jesus more than anything else in their life. Number two, that they love me and my family. And number three, they love our church and the mission and vision that God has for us. See, coaches have your best interests in mind, or they have the team's best interest in mind, while critics just have their own interest in mind. They just want to be right. Number four, coaches talk with you privately. Critics attack you publicly. Coaches will talk with you privately. Critics will attack you publicly. Two of the most respected coaches in the NFL today are Bill Belichick of the Patriots and John Harbaugh of the Ravens. And a big part of that is because they don't broadcast conflict or issues from the locker room out in public. If their quarterback reads a defense wrong and throws a bunch of interceptions, they might talk to them on the bench. They'll certainly talk to them in the locker room. They're going to talk to them during the film study that week, and they're going to say, that was a bad mistake. You need to make an adjustment when this happens on the field. But what these coaches won't do is they're not going to grab an announcer's microphone after the game or, or run to the press conference and say, I would just like everyone to know that our quarterback is an overpaid idiot. Okay? They have no clue what they're doing out there. They are not fit to lead this team. And by the way, in the past 10 years, the Patriots and Ravens have had the two highest winning percentages of teams in the NFL. Number five, coaches should be listened to in life. Critics can be ignored. Coaches should be listened to. Critics can be ignored. But pastor, I'm confused. If I stop listening to my critics, won't I miss some things in life? Yes, yes, you will. 
you'll miss out on stress, worry, frustration, and doubt. Critics can be ignored. Number three, followers of Jesus keep no record of wrongs. Followers of Jesus, formed followers of Jesus, keep no record of wrongs. I, I used to love watching the news and listening to a lot of talk radio in the car until I realized how angry and mean it was making me and how worried and anxious I was becoming about everything in life. Like I just walked around angry and stressed out all the time. And, and then a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we decided that we were going to cut some kind of luxuries out of our life. And one of the things that we cut was cable television because we were trying to save money to go on a mission trip to Kenya, Africa, to be able to visit some of the kids that we were sponsoring in a village there. And when I stopped watching the news all the time, all of a sudden I felt so much more peace return to my life. And one of the things I later realized was that the reason I felt more peace in my life was because I had just removed a whole bunch of negativity from my life. Because news, especially political news, is often just each side demonizing the other side and working their hardest to tear each other down, which leads to this key truth regarding keeping no record of wrongs. And that's this, that building others up is always greater than tearing others down. Building others up is always greater than tearing others down. Becoming a parent has also helped me to learn a lot more about the importance of this. I, um, many of you know I have five kids, and a few years ago, my daughter Lexi, kid number two, who's, she's 16 now, she's, uh, she's on the worship team, and she's doing awesome things in her life, but she taught me a, a great lesson. She was about six years old at the time, and she had gotten in trouble um, one day. She had broke something in the house, and we sent her to her room for a timeout. It was in the evening. And, um, you know, after she had been in there for a little while, Julie and I went in there to pray with her before bedtime. And she was crying and she apologized and, and we forgave her. But then she said something interesting. She said, she said, Mom, Dad, I have another confession I'd like, like to make. And we're like, oh, okay, okay, well, what's going on? She said, there's fish in my closet. We were like, say what? Like, because that was not, that's not something you normally hear from a child. See, we had two aquatic turtles. And occasionally, we would feed these turtles live minnows. Well, my compassionate daughter felt very sorry for these feeder fish. And she named them. And she decided she was going to save them. And so she scooped them out, unbeknownst to us, she scooped them out of the tank with a net. And she put them in a jar in her closet to save them. Sweet and compassionate, right? Very sweet and compassionate. The only problem was the bottle she chose was a large bottle of hand sanitizer. And she didn't clean it out. I mean, there was a little bit left in there. She just topped it off with water and threw the fish in there. It must have been a rough way to go, okay? So we, we look in her closet, and sure enough, Nemo and Dory are floating upside down at the top. And so we had to go to the bathroom, and we did a little ceremony and flushed them, and she cried and apologized, and she promised never to do it again, and we hugged her, and we forgave her, and we told her what a sweet and loving kid she was. Why? Because we, we love her, because we love her. What we didn't do was we didn't hold it over her head forever, okay? The next day, I didn't take her to PetSmart and walk by the fish tanks and point to them and say, remember what you did, you fish killer? Like, I didn't, I didn't do that, Okay. Why? Because I'm a loving dad. Like a crazy dad would do that, not a loving dad, right? Don't miss this. God is your loving father. God is your loving father. As we said earlier in this series, he is the perfect parent that many of us, you know, wish that maybe we had growing up. He loves you. He adores you. He wants greater things for your life than even you could imagine for your life. God wants the best for you. He's not wanting to condemn you, but he does want to correct you. He does want you to, to get onto the same page as him to keep you from going down a path that could eventually lead to your destruction. In the same way, formed followers of Jesus, we may challenge people in our lives that we love, but we also always do so with love. We always work to build others up in our life. 
not to tear them down with both our words and with our actions. We keep no record of wrongs. Here's something profound. In all of Scripture, there's only one place that we see where the audible voice of God is recorded speaking directly to Jesus. And here's what God the Father said to God the Son. It happens after Jesus goes and visits John the Baptist and, and he's baptized. And this is what the voice of, of the Father from heaven says in Matthew 3.17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Think about it. The first time the Father is recorded speaking to Jesus and he's bragging about him. He's building him up with his words. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. God looks at all of us as his children and he looks at our potential in life and he wants to build us up and he wants to lead us to the greater life, to the greater plans, to the greater story that he has for us. When we turn our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life and we transfer our faith off of ourselves and onto Jesus and what he's done for us, Scripture says our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. And we are forgiven once and for all. He holds no record of wrongs. Last point and then we'll end. Number four, followers of Jesus do not delight in evil, but they rejoice with the truth. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you have ever eaten at Cracker Barrel over by the mall? Okay, a lot of you guys, a lot of you guys. Um, I'm still not quite sure what I think about Cracker Barrel because to me, um, it's kind of like a yard sale that broke out at a restaurant. And uh, my kids, they, they don't really like the food at Cracker Barrel. They just like all the junk there, okay? They don't care if we go there and there's a really long wait to get seated. In fact, the longer the better because they just want to look at all the junk in the store. It's, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes because people will come over to my house and they'll be like, did you get that at Cracker Barrel? And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, I did. Please don't judge me. But, but Cracker Barrel does have one amazing, amazing dessert. It's called the Baked Apple Dumpling. I don't know if you've ever had that before, the Baked Apple Dumpling. Now, if you go to Cracker Barrel's website, you might have a very hard time finding nutritional information on this dessert, on the Baked Apple Dumpling. But if you go to the My Fitness app, you will learn that the Baked Apple Dumpling is only a mere 3,229 calories which is why it tastes awesome, right? So how can I love something that is so, so incredibly bad for me? Well, that's what it's like when we delight in evil. See, sin can feel good. Some people are like, no, sin's a, sin's a terrible thing. Sin, sin's horrible. Sin doesn't feel good. Then you're probably not doing it right, okay? <laughs> because sin can feel really, really good at first, at first. The problem is that sin always leads to something. It always leads to pain and destruction and death. The death of your body, the death of a relationship with someone, spiritual death, and it always eventually leaves us broken. So how do we avoid falling into the trap of sin? Because we, we do not believe that we are just victims to sin. And oh, well, well, just get a sin all our lives. We believe we can have victory over sin with the power of the Holy Spirit with us. So how can we avoid the trap of falling into sin and delighting in evil? Where there are two things that can help. Number one is this, then we'll wrap up today. Number one is this. When we celebrate the suffering of others, something is broken inside of us. When we start to celebrate the suffering of others, something is broken inside of us. In this past election... I mean, it was crazy, right? Candidates from both parties were just waiting to pounce on any screw-up their opponent made. And they would tweet and make commercials about it and just delight in their opponent's misery. Going back to King David, David was being persecuted by Saul all the way. Saul was trying to kill him over and over and over again. But you know what? David never delighted in Saul's pain or suffering. And when David was finally notified that Saul, the man who had wanted him dead, who had been trying to murder him for years, had been killed in battle, look at David's response because it's, 
it's really eye-opening. In 2 Samuel 1, verse 11 to 12, last verse we'll look at today. It says, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. And they mourned, and they wept, and they fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David was a leader who had a heart for God because instead of celebrating the downfall of someone who hated him, he was heartbroken over it. He was devastated over it. That's godly. That's holy. Last point and then we'll pray. Number two, to avoid delighting in evil, guard your mind with the truth. Guard your mind with the truth. The Bible sheds more light on every path of life than any other book written in the history of the world. Why? Because this book was inspired by the very mind of God. That's why week after week after week on a Sunday morning in 2021, we can go to the Bible and we can look at stories from Scripture and it's relevant to our lives today because it's a book inspired by the mind of God. That's why it's so relevant. Here's what one of the authors of the Psalms, possibly David himself, says about the Word of God in Psalm 119.105. He says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your heavenly Father loves you so much that he doesn't want you to live in darkness. He doesn't want you to have to learn every lesson in life the hard way, stumbling and limping through life with wounds and scars. But instead, he wants to light your path in this life. Because as we've said time and time again in this series, God is calling you to trust him. He's calling you to make him first in your life and to follow him. And if you do, if you do, if you're up for the challenge, he's going to take you from the smaller story of you to the greater story he has for you and your future as he stretches you and he forms you along the way. So the question is, are you ready to trust him with your life? Are you ready to be formed? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Can we pray together this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, I know there's so many different people, different life situations in this room today and those watching online as well. But God, here's my, here's my challenge to our church this morning. If you're a person here this, this morning, if you're watching online this morning, you're a man, a woman, a teenager here. And you would say, you know what, God, I'm up for the challenge. God, I want to make you first. I'm not content with just being a person who shows up for church on a Sunday morning for an hour and never changes. God, I want you to grow me. I want you to stretch me. I don't care if I'm 11 or 91. God, I want to be formed into a follower of Jesus. Would you help me to do that? I want to listen to your voice. Step by step, day by day. I want to grow into the person you want me to be. I want to move from the smaller story of me to the bigger story of you. If that's your prayer this morning, would you just have five seconds of courage wherever you're at and just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? That's what I want. I want to be formed. Praise God. Praise God. Lots of people this morning. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, for, for those who just had a lot of courage this morning, maybe even for some who were a little bit scared to lift a hand, but they were thinking in their mind, God, I want that. God, I pray that you would honor those decisions today, that you would help us to be people who are willing to grow, who are willing to stretch ourselves, who are willing to say, God, I want you to be first. It's a little bit scary, a little bit nervous, but I believe you're a big God who can be trusted. I believe you love me. I believe you're my perfect heavenly father, that you have an unconditional love for me. God, help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to make you first. 
God, I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want you to form me into who you want me to be. God, I pray you would honor those decisions made here today and that you would help us, you would guide us in the days and weeks and months ahead, step by step along this incredible journey as, again, we move from the smaller story of us to the greater story you have for us in our future. And we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate some decisions made this morning, church? Praise God. Praise God. As the worship team leads us, let's stand and sing and celebrate together. Let's sing this, this together. We learned it a couple weeks ago as a, as a group. Let's sing this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Sing that again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. upon you and a thousand 
generations and your family and your children and your children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you within you is with you is with blessings upon these, your people, this morning. Father God, I pray as always that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today. This incredible story of, of David and his response, Lord God, the incredible writings of the Apostle Paul and what it means to be a formed follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would be able to, to take this wisdom, to take this truth and then have the courage to be able to apply it into our lives so that we can take the steps we need to to the greater story, to the, great, to the greater future that you have for us, for our families, for generations and generations to come. We love you, God. We give you all the honor and glory and praise. We pray these things today in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. God bless you guys. Hope you have an awesome week. I want to remind you as well, um, thank you for continuing to be faithful and generous. Uh, we do have the offering um, bucket outside in the lobby. Those of you watching online, you can always give online. We thank you for that. And we hope you guys will invite someone to be a part of church next week as we start off a brand new series to end the summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's called At the Movies. See you next week.
TJ? Oh, Carl, or I don't know who's up there. Just leave the sound on, and we'll turn it off. Thank you.